0: You're
1: Atman Atmanam Bishta I take refuge in the self, the indivisible, the ex- existence knowledge bliss absolute, beyond the reach of words and thought and the substratum of all for the attainment of my cherished desire. Jananim Sharadam Devim. I bow down to Sri Sharada Devi, the consort of Sri Ramakrishna, and take refuge at her lotus feet again and again. Good morning, everybody. So, so this is a, a very special, it's nice to be back from India after a long time, after I think I came in March actually. And uh, next I'll be, I've uh, been relieved of my duties at Advaita Ashram Kolkata. And uh, next I'll be going, there's a um, Nagra Fellowship. I'll be attending Harvard University in August of this year. And it's also a special day because um, in Buddha's life, they talk about, it's also mentioned in the Yoga Sutras, Pratiprasava. Pratiprasava means what? At the stage of, um, before this nirvana, this samadhi, it, you, you witness the different stages of your life unfolding. In fact, Buddha witnessed, I think, about 501 lives, just like flipping through a book, going through all the different stages of life. So today it's a little bit special because um, one thing, one of my uh, uh, dear high school friends uh, from Ohio, I attended Ohio Valley School, which is nearby uh, from, for three years from 10th to 12th grade. So my really good friend, uh, I've n- who I've not seen for about 30 years, he's come today. Uh, his name is Rob Davis. And uh, uh, I remember when I first came to Ohio. that was like the first time. I'm from an Asian Indian family. So, you know, our, our culture inside the home is like old India, not even new India, old India, <laughs> that Vedic culture. And so I remember uh, this first time I was really st- staying outside. So Rob was one of the cool guys at that time, you know. So, and, and, but we became really fast good friends. And since that time we had many discussions over the years between Hinduism, Christianity, Vedanta. And um, actually at that time I just found out a great saint, when I was staying there, a great saint was living there. And actually he passed away. He had his Mahasamadhi at that time. His name was Jiddu Krishnamurti, and his. We're going to talk about this today. What What do we mean by a place of pilgrimage? Because this Jiddu Krishnamurti, a month before he passed away, he was in India, in Chennai. So, and he knew he was going to pass away soon. I think he had some type of a cancer, some type of cancer. So you would think that you know, in, in Hindu tradition, you know, normally when one is about to pass away, they want to pass away in their home. In Chennai, he's from I think Tamil Nadu, or they want to pass away in Kashi, which they say is the place of death, the place where you don't get you don't come again if you if you pass away in Kashi. But what did he do? He went back to Ohai <laughs> He left his body there. In fact, I was in high school at the time he left his body. So I, when I look back on that, that seems like a very uh, some divine providence. I feel. So that's one thing. Then the next thing was that. Um, and then uh, I'm just looking at different stages, so I see one ba- Balakrishna here and his wife Madhavi. So that's a different chapter in life. When I was in San Francisco, and um, I was right before I joined, I was working at the San Francisco District Attorney's Office under Kamala Krish- uh, Harris. So I'm looking at Balakrishna. I'm remembering that stage, and also when I look at him, I'm remembering my one of my spiritual teachers, Swami Prabuddhananda Ji, who was a great uh, the ex. Uh, sp- in, minister in charge of San Francisco, so he was um, very instrumental in my life. And then of course when I see uh, Krishna Prana, Raja Prana and all of them, they remind me of um, when I was, uh, I've been coming here since a toddler, and then also afterwards with Swami Swahananda. And so then I've spent about 15 years in India, uh, most recently 10 years, and so now I'm back here. (laughs) So it's nice to be back. So now, one thing that I'm giving this talk. Uh, the name of the talk is Sri Ramakrishna's pilgrimage mindset, how to approach a place of pilgrimage. What's, it's really interesting. So one thing comes to mind. What do I mean by a place of pilgrimage? What is meant by a place of pilgrimage? Right? This is a really interesting question. Because I just found out just nearby, you know Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Her home is just nearby. So for some, like in America, we consider that a place of pilgrimage, right? Seinfeld, Seinfeld is a really popular sitcom. So that could be one place of pilgrimage. Some other people in America consider Elvis Presley's place. They go there. That's a place of pilgrimage. John Lennon, where he was shot. So this is a really, it's a really interesting point. In India, this place of pilgrimage, what we refer to as Tirta Tirtha means a holy place. Sthan means place. So a sacred place, a place of holiness. That's what it means in India. So I'm going to review this. Three questions to think about during this talk. And we'll answer it through the course of the talk. One is, what is a place of pilgrimage? Is it a subjective experience or an objective fact? Just think about it. Secondly, what is the purpose of a pilgrimage? How many of you here have been on pilgrimages? okay. I think, Rob, I think you went to Bethlehem, right? So that's a pilgrimage, right? Yes. <laughs> this is all places of pilgrimage. Um, so, so why is it when we go to a pilgrimage, why is it that we don't, we're having some expectation. We all want some spiritual experience what we say in Sanskrit, anubhuti, something real. When you come to a lecture every Sunday, this is good, right? You get some, whether it's a church, a temple, you get some jnana, right? You get some knowledge. But that knowledge won't give you the highest realization. In fact, it's in the, uh, So you can't realize God by talking or by listening to lectures or by a sharp intellect. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case. But the next part of that sloka, Yam eva na labhyaha. he realizes God who seeks after him. Yam eva na atma na swam, and God chooses who to reveal Himself to. So both are. If you look at if that last part. He realizes God who, who seeks after him or her. So that could be this what we say uh, self-effort. But the last part is grace too, right? So both have to be there, self-effort and grace. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to keep the uh, slides to a minimum today. Our sister said last time, just keep it to a minimum, so we'll do that. <laughs> I just want to show a couple of slides. So when I talk about what is a place of pilgrimage, I wrote a, a series, Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna, who we consider to be a, a saint of Kolkata, uh, an avatar for us. So he talked about this three stages of pilgrimage mindset, which I think applies for all religions. And um, whether you go to a church, you go to a uh, synagogue, you go to a, the, the Mecca, you go to a temple, it applies across, it's a cosmopolitan way of looking at things, a cosmopolitan way of visiting a place of pilgrimage. Now he talks about there's three different uh, stages to this pilgrimage mindset. How to get the most out of a pilgrimage. One is what? We call it the pre-pilgrimage mindset. What to do before you go. right? Second is the pilgrimage mindset. I'm there. Like Krishna Prana said, I'm there, now what? <laughs> so what, what, I'm there, now what? So I'm, I'm giving you all a guarantee if you follow these instructions, yes, you will get some type of experience. What that experience is depends because there's a whole range of experiences, right? It could be when you first enter into a synagogue, a church, a temple, you feel an aha moment. You feel something, some tranquility. That's one range. That, range. that range goes all the way to Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the highest. That realizing yourself as that self. That Brahman. right? Masih. You are that Brahman. So there's a whole range of experiences there. And that what we're going to find out about today that really depends upon where we are as a spiritual aspirant. You can't rush that. Wherever you are, the purpose of a pilgrimage is to get some type of a connection to go to the next level. It serves many important purposes, actually. I'm speaking, actually, from my own personal experience. I lived in Kolkata for the last 10 years, almost 10 years. And um, every weekend, I worked in a Dwaita Ashram. So every weekend, uh, we, would, we would be off at 12 o'clock Saturday, and we would have to show, back, show up again on Monday morning. So one and a half days off. So what I did there is I researched all the places, because they say Kolkata is actually a very holy place. But again, it depends on how you look at a place, right? Every place, it has a cultural significance, a mythological significance, a spiritual significance. So you could look at it many different ways. So when I went to Kolkata, I could look at it as, um, my God, where am I? (laughs) You know, I'm born and brought up, where where do I come to? So that's one way to look at things. People look at it right, like that, right? But there's another outlook. You research, what are the places here? Oh, Swami Vivekananda lived here. Sri Ramakrishna lived here. Holy Mother lived here. What did they do? And where did they go? So actually, the last 10 years, I've been doing research on Ramakrishna and many, many new things we found out about his life. That I, Some of these things have not even been published yet. And we went through the English and also the Bengali text. And we're trying to make that into a book right now, even inclu- including the maps. So anyone who visits Kolkata, we want to get that done. You can go district by district in a chronological way. Another way you can look at it, for me, a purpose of pilgrimage, I was at, when I first joined especially, I was also trying to discover my roots. How many of you uh, saw that movie, Alex Haley, Roots? Remember that? So I think it's about an African-American. He wants to go to back to Africa and find out about his roots, because that's a question of who he is. Even at this empirical level, you need clarity on that. So what I used to do at that time, I used to go visit my, uh, my, my father and my grandparents. They're, they were born in actually near Ramakrishna's birth of pla- place of birth, Arambag, just nearby. And um, so I would visit them. So that's one way I could have looked at it, right? This is like the place where my relatives lived. But no, I wanted a spiritual outlook. Same thing you could talk about anywhere. Ojai Valley, you can look at it in so many different ways. It's so rich in culture, history. You can also look at it, Krishna uh, Krishnamurti was passed, born and passed away there. So some great saints are there. Even this very Santa Barbara temple, right? This comes to our next question. One, one question was, what is a place of pilgrimage? Is it a subjective experience? Or an objective fact. So Swami Vivekananda says it's both. In Raja Yoga, he talks about this. A place of pilgrimage, from how I'm going to define it, this is how Swami Vivekananda defined it, it has a preponderance of what we call sattva. So in the Sankhya Yoga philosophy, there's, they say that this world's made up of three elements tamas, which is dullness, rajas, which is activity, and sattva which is this calmness, these three elements. It says this entire world is made from these three elements. So then uh, one thing about that so then is that uh, if this world is made out of these three elements. So this place, a place of pilgrimage, dirtasthaan, what we talk about, it will have a preponderance of sattva, right? So now you could, um, that, that song, the beach boys, right? Good vibrations, right? So we all know that song, Good Vibrations. So you can say, OK, I get that. I go to a bar, I also feel that. I feel the good vibrations. No, Swami Vivekananda answered this uh, in a conversation with Swami Saradananda When they first met, they had a conversation about the purpose of humanities. And Shraddha Maharaj told him, I think at that it was Shraddha Maharaj or another person told him at that time, I think the purpose of humanities should be freedom of, of expression. And Swami Vivekananda replied, no. It should be freedom of expression, but it should lift the mind upwards towards the divine and not towards the world. So we can say that when we talk about this preponderance of sattva, any spiritual place, including this temple right here that we're feeling, we're feeling that, I think many of you are experiencing that right now, it has a preponderance of sattva, right? We feel a little bit of that. So any place that lifts the mind upward, and inward, sriyaro bindu. Upward and inward, not outward and downward. <laughs> downward means what? Towards any towards this jagat, towards this world. No, we want upward and inwards towards the divine. Another question: Where is the divine? So in Vedanta, we, we, you've all heard of that. We have many different. One is that it's as this Christian and Islamic says, it's above God above. But it also it's the it's imminent. It's all pervasive. It flows around everywhere. Everywhere we see God. And it's also in the heart, right? So that's up to the individual person. Now, before I talk about these three different stages, I just want to... Is this working? It's connected, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to show you... Yeah, slideshow. Slideshow. Okay, anyways, you could just... So I'm showing you three pictures here of Ramakrishna. How he applied this pilgrimage mindset. Now, these are three kind of rare pictures. Ramakrishna in Kolkata, you might think that he, when he's going to talk, he's only talking about visiting places of uh, temples, right? Hindu temples. No, this is right... Oh, excuse me. Mm. This right here is a uh, mosque on the left-hand side right here. So there's a story, in, it, it appeared in Prabhupada Bharata magazine, and this is a lesser known incident, Swami Prabhupada Ji found it, that on his way back one time from uh, Jan Bajar, from uh, Rani Rashmani's place, he's passing by, and he, this is called Geratala Mosque, no one, not many people know about this. So as he's passing by in a horse carriage across this mosque right here, he sees um, a Muslim, and he's weeping. He's standing outside, he's weeping. A poor Muslim, he's weeping. Weeping for God. So Ramakrishna gets outside of his carriage and he goes and he embraces the person and hugs him for a very long time. Same thing right here. This, this is a church. It's called the Holy Trinity Church. It's located off of Amherst Street. Now, records show that Ramakrishna visited, he, wanted to, he visited two churches, Holy Trinity Church on Amherst Street and one of one other one was this osman memorial church and he was always afraid to step inside because he was afraid that would they let him back in, let them back to where he was living if he stepped in so he would always peep from outside he wanted to see how christians prayed how they prayed and of course we know that during ramakrishna's experience this picture this picture is of uh, mother madonna and baby jesus so he he one day had a vision in Dakshineshwar, that he the rays of light emanated from this picture and entered into him, and for three days he could think of nothing but Christ. He would do meditation. He would see the living Christ everywhere, and finally, that it just merged into him. Not only Ramakrishna, even his disciples, his close disciple Swami Vivekananda, when he uh, during the days of Ramakrishna's last days in pur remember that uh, Swami Vivekananda went on a pilgrimage himself. He went to Bodhgaya. This is Gaya. This is where Bud- Buddha had his nirvana there. It's called the Bodhi tree. So Swami Vivekananda went there. Not only that, he had the realization of Buddha there. Not only that, Swami Sharananda, uh, after Ramakrishna's passing, he went to the Vatican, Rome, And he had the experience of Christ's disciples there. He had the experience of Christ there. So this is within our teachings. They say in Bengali, Jyotomot Totopot, as as many ways, so many so as many ways, so many means, right? So many ways to reach the same goal. So same thing that we have here, that in pilgrimage, according to Ramakrishna, you can apply these principles anywhere. Okay. So this is a. I also did this. I went to different places uh, Mount Kailash, Puri, Gaya, Bellermont. Now, before I start, I just want to tell a story about Mount Kailash. And then, so how many of you here have heard of Mount Kailash? Okay. So I went there in 2018. It's located in Tibet. And Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, they all consider this. Uh, mountain to be very sacred it's not just a very not just a mere mountain they say it's God himself okay and it's 22,000 feet high and um, so it's so many different experiences were there good and bad both (laughs) they say it's the best of times and the worst of times (laughs) so anyways I went to this place called Darchin that's uh, when we went from Nepal we went, we went Nepal to Tibet. Our first place was Darchin. And there, um, uh, we had a really interesting number of people, which I think will inst- illustrate the importance of this pilgrimage mindset. First of all, you're only supposed to have 10 people on a pilgrimage to Koilash. It should be around 10 to 12 people. For some reason, we had 80 people, eight zero. And we only had like a, and they say for like every, they say for every Two people, you should have one Sherpa, one guide, someone to help you. I think in our, we had 80 people and only like six Sherpas, you know? So basically, you're on your own. <laughs> so, anyways, there's this complete chaos. <laughs> but one thing that happened was that, uh, <laughs> so there are many different types of people that went on this trip. One was the drunk uncle, okay? I don't know what he was doing on that trip. I think he's an a- his daughter is an NRI. She lives in America. So she came. She wanted to see Koilash. So um, she brought her, uh, her father. I think he was a rich business, business tycoon in Mumbai. But he always had like a bottle of tequila or whiskey with him. Okay. Now, this is a fact. I was wondering, what's he doing here, you know? <laughs> but there's significance to this. So... When he went to Koilash, he didn't go all the way, but he saw the mountain. What did he see? So he saw like almost like his, what was his, what was his uh, devata. So he almost saw like a big bottle of tequila, you know, he wanted to drink more. <laughs> really, this is the case. <laughs> okay. Now somebody else. You had two girls, they just met there, both um, non-resident Indians. They're coming to Koilash. And so they went there and um, they had something different. They like, were like, the whole time, you know, you have to walk three days, you have to walk about 30 miles, right? Second day, you have to walk about 20 miles uphill, up to an elevation of almost 19,500 feet. So it's like you're, I don't know how they did this. In that altitude, they, they walked and talked the whole time. <laughs> and they talked about so many different things, you know, it's like two people walking in the mall, you know. Chatting, you know. So, but for them, they, they sometimes would include uh, mother. They, we say, we Hindus believe that on top of Koilash, that they said Lord Shiva and Ma Parvati. So they almost had that feeling that like Ma Parvati was like, um, she's a goddess, but she was like with them, like a teen, teenager walking with them and in, engaging in the chat. When I went there that day, so what I did is that, that morning, uh, the, the first day of our pilgrimage, uh, that day we were supposed to begin our trek. So I went early in the morning. This is the south face of Kailash. And when I went there, I was always wondering about one sloka from the Katopanishad. <laughs> this always puzzled me so you are the subtlest of the subtle and you are the greatest of the great and yet you exist within all from Brahma, from the Lord himself to a blade of grass what does that mean? so our commentators uh, Shankaracharya, so many have a different point of view on that so I've read all the different commentators what, what they said it means but I also want to experience for myself what that meant So that day when I went there, um, you see how you see Kailash. So it seems so close, but nobody has ever climbed this mountain. Nobody has ever climbed this mountain. One Buddhist uh, saint, Milarepa, they said he flew up to the mountain. He never actually climbed it. But nobody has ever climbed it, and actually you're not allowed to by the Chinese government, because it's very sacred to uh, people of different faiths. So it's, uh, uh, so early in the morning, it was, very, it was dark at that time, I think like 3 o'clock in the morning, I started walking, and I walked up, whoop, and this was a picture I had, and I was just looking at it, and it seemed so close, yet. so what did that mean? So at that time, as I stood there be- below Lua, uh, Mount Koyalash, I was looking up, and just saw the sun, the moon, the stars everywhere, And really it felt like at that time I was at at the center of the universe and all stars and moons, everything, all galaxies were looking directly at Mount Koyalai. That's what was my subjective feeling and paying homage to Lord Shiva. So something transcended, something large. Yet at the same time, Anora Niyan, subtleness of the subtle, It felt like I had come home. So this is, not you felt you've come home, okay? I think I was talking to Rajaprana one time, Rajaprana Mataji. She was saying, how do you like India? And I said, yes, it's like I've come home. And then she said the same thing. When she first stepped into the Santa Barbara Convent, she felt like she had come home, okay? So it's something accessible something very dear to us, yet at the same time, it's something large, it's something transcendent, both at the same time. Now, that was my experience. But there was another lady that went, like she, she was very protective, she was like the motherly type, so she helped me out a great deal. It was like mother had come in this form and it was always like looking after me. And so um, she didn't climb, she was I think 70 years old, so she just had one glimpse and then she left. But I remember when she had that one glimpse, tears rolled down her eyes. That was enough. So when she didn't say what she experienced, but uh, what I felt was that shweta you are that. So you are that. that what we say, this is a that There's no difference you're seeing your own self. You're seeing your own self. So that was her experience. So you see how preparing the mind makes such a big difference when you go to a place of pilgrimage. When I went to Koilash, I studied it ahead of time, based on this pilgrimage mindset we're talking about. So what is the mythological significance? What happened in Koilash? Who lived there? What are the places to see? This is what Sri Ramakrishna taught. Before going, you should spend lots of time uh, studying these things. Studying these things first, studying first, acquiring the knowledge. What do we do most of the time? We go to the place of pilgrimage and then we, uh, acha, what is this? What is that? Right? No. When we before we go there, we should already be the tour guide. That's the first stage of the pilgrimage mindset. Second stage of the pilgrimage mindset. Again, this is taught by, Sri Ramakrishna taught this, and Swami Vivekananda taught this to Margaret Noble, Sister Nivedita, when they before they went to Amarnath. Second stage of this pilgrimage mindset. Once you acquire the knowledge, historical, cultural, mythological, try this, acquire that knowledge. Then, at the same time, Any biases you have, you should remove those cultural biases from your mind, right? When you go to a place, you have to have reverence for that place. So you can't look at it from a political point of view. You can't look at it from a a place of dislike. No, you should have reverence for that place. And it should be focused on the spiritual significance. So this is the second stage, removing those biases. Third stage is what? Once you've done that, acquired the knowledge, remove the biases. Third stage meditation, contemplating upon it. Going into a, a secluded corner and meditating upon that place you're going to visit. Swami Bhuteshananji, he was a, a past president of our order. So when he he wanted to go do some tapasya, visit different places of pilgrimage, and especially go to one place and meditate there in the Himalayas. So he was massaging Swami Saradananda at that time, his guru. He dis- expressed his wish to, to Swami Saradananda. What does Swami Shardananda do then? He said, then at this moment you leave. You now begin to meditate. So he dropped all activities and started meditating on what? The places he's going to go to. Why is that important? It's giving, called giving momentum. We talked about this sattvika quality. This um, we talked about the Satvika quality, this stage of calmness within us, the spiritual samskaras. The Swami Vivekananda calls it. So we want to give momentum to those spiritual samskaras within us, those spiritual tendencies within us, not the bad tendencies. Otherwise, what happens when we go to a place of pilgrimage? You know, we start to think how we're, how we're being overcharged. That person is taking away my money. <laughs> They're charging us to visit to a place of pilgrimage. What is this? <laughs> and we see all types of worldliness in front of us. Yes, even in places of pilgrimage. They're not as tranquil as the Santa Barbara Vedanta's temple, right? <laughs> so you start to see so many different types of elements of society. Even Ramakrishna experienced this. Ramakrishna, when he went to Kashi, he saw like greedy priest. He saw... Um, Worldliness in all levels and even he had this idea in his mind that wow I thought I was going to come here and, and everybody would be chanting God's name Dakshinishwar so same thing if you leave from here you might think I was better in Santa Barbara okay so that's one thing so these elements are there so we have to give that's why in any place of pilgrimage this preponderance of sattva this preponderance of spirituality will be there but we have to tap into that and you might ask, how is that, why is that there? Well, that's there because it's preordained. It could be due to many factors. They say in some places, it, was, um, uh, it just comes from the earth itself. So they say Kashi. Kashi was not made from men. It was made from gods. It was just, it's just a citadel of spirituality. Bethlehem, right? Rob, you went to Bethlehem. So Jesus was born there. So Jesus was born there. So that association, Christ was born there. So that spirituality of Christ will be there. Yet that's not enough. Swami Vivekananda continues, it's not enough that just a great personality is born in a place or that great saints did uh, tapasya meditation there. It has to constantly be revitalized. So this is also our role as pilgrims. When we go there, not just to take but to give. So this is also the importance of the pre-pilgrimage mindset. Preparing your mind. So it's like um, there's this spirituality in that place you're going to. So it's like the download, right? You have to doubt. It's like the uh, net, right? So how to tap into that? You need the password, right? What is the password? Well, the password depends. So partly it's preparing our minds, what I just talked about. Then when you go there, so if you go to... uh, if you go to Bethlehem, you won't be thinking of Krishna there, right? There the personality of Christ reverberates. If you go to Kashi, you won't be thinking of Krishna there, right? You'll be thinking of Lord Shiva. So each place has its own particular, we say vishesh lakshana in Sanskrit. That means like speciality. So we have to tune into that. So this is part of what we call the Pilgrimage mindset, tuning into that. Now there's another couple of factors to the pilgrimage. So once now you've, all of you, you can all plan your pilgrimages. You know where you want to go. So you've done stage one. Stage one, the homework you've done. You've read about the place. You've reviewed the place. You meditated upon it. You know where you want to go. You don't need a tour guide. In fact, you want to go alone. You want to go alone, right? When you go in a crowd, uh, it becomes more like subject-object. We're the subject and that's the object. But when you go alone, that subject-object dissipates and it just becomes an experience, objectless experience. So we go to the place of pilgrimage, then what? So now we want to go, we want to visit the different places. We know the history. We know that the uh, prevailing Ishta-Devata, the god that's there, Now there's a few other things too. Another thing is what we call poking the honeycomb. They say in great places of pilgrimage there will always be great souls. For example, they say in Kashi, Varanasi, there's at least one knower of Brahman, one knower of God living there, even today, at all times. So you seek out holy company at that time. Why? They say that the grace of a holy man Holy woman, that raises our mind. Right? We can go into a temple, we can go into a place, we can have some aha moment, some breakthrough, small breakthrough. But then, how do you hold that? How do you maintain that? Once you leave that temple, once you leave that church, you're, we're back to our old selves again, right? So, we want to hold that. How to hold that? So, when we go to a place of pilgrimage, when we're, we're going different places, then we're also engaged in contemplation, meditation, not criticism. Too often what we do is we go to a place of pilgrimage, we leave that place, we had some nice experience, next moment we waste it away, it dissipates. We're criticizing, we're getting, all our old tendencies are arising again. Ramakrishna used to give a really nice example. When we take, go take a bath in the Ganges, Maganga, so they say that that's a very pure river. So they say when you take a bath there, I've also experienced this, I've really felt this, you feel that all your sins, they go and they perch upon a tree just nearby. So you're good as long as you're in the water. But once you leave that river, it comes back to your shoulder. The same old person. So how can we maintain that? It's called in Sanskrit, dharana, holding it, even during, the place, during the, our place of pilgrimage. So we meet holy people. Another way to hold it, seeing the nature. Sister Nivedita had this experience. When she would she would sit outside and she would just meditate upon the trees, the river, the stars, the moon. And then one day, she had such a cosmic experience, cosmic spiritual experience. You could say experience... Experiencing God at the Birat level, cosmic level. She wrote about this experience to Holy Mother, Sri Devi, just to confirm if it's true or not. And Holy Mother replied, Yes, my daughter, what you have seen is true. The trees in Dakshineshwar are singing. The moon is uh, worshipping the Lord. The stars, the river... They're all engaged in a cosmic worship of the Lord. Then she added one sentence. He he or she who has the eyes to see will see. He who has the ears to listen will hear. So, this is the element when you go to a place of pilgrimage. It becomes reverence. Ramakrishna, when he went to Kashi, he sometimes saw—you can say it's the Vijnana Vedanta. He saw the whole stage consciousness covered everywhere, God, divine covered everywhere. It became such to the point that he had to go to the restroom, but he couldn't go, and he had to step outside because where to go to the restroom, right? He's seeing God everywhere, so he had to cross the river and and uh, go over and do over there. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> So, so you shouldn't have that experience unless you can hold it, right? <laughs> okay, anyways. So that's, so one stage is called poking the honeycomb. If you meet holy people there, holy people, you should then be able to talk with them, poke them, poking that honeycomb, that madhu, that honey is within them, gain the spiritual truths from them. And secondly, seeing this God in nature, this reverence is there, and meditation Meditation is very important. Contemplation, prayer, whatever you want to call it. But again, what we said before, what is, what is this yoga? It's not outward and downwards, but what? Upwards and inwards, yes. In fact, I'll go one step further. Why do we call this pilgrimage a yoga? I'm not making this up. Swami Vivekananda, in his commentary to the Yoga Sutras, he talks about this in different places. Why? Because what I just talked about, it's our journey. Journey from the gross, stula in Sanskrit, to the what? The subtle, sukshma in Sanskrit. To the what? Karanam, the causal. Gross to the subtle to the causal. This is our ultimate journey. So when we talk about different ranges of spiritual experiences, some For some, it may be at the level of the body, the level of the mind, the level of the emotions. Right? So you go the gross. Subtle is the le- gross of the body, level of the body, subtle level of the mind. To the causal. I realize myself as that. I see myself, I see that divine everywhere. The causal. So this is what we're talking about as the pilgrimage mindset. So pre-pilgrimage, then pilgrimage. Okay? So we've done all these things, okay? But it doesn't end there. <laughs> we have something called the post-pilgrimage mindset. What do I mean by that? So we, we've had this really nice experience, this nice, we use the term blissed out, right? So we're blissed out. We come back home. That feeling's with us for a few days. But slowly, slowly, you know, it's like Ramakrishna saying, when you take that bath in the Ganges, right? <laughs> so slowly, slowly, our old tendencies come up again. And slowly, slowly, we thought there was a transformation. That's what we wanted, right? We wanted a transformation. We we're always talking about a higher version of ourselves. How can we be our most authentic self, our be- the best version of ourselves? So when we came back, we were being so nice and tranquil with everybody, not reacting. Oh, that's okay. We we feel our family life, our uh, work life, everything is going so smoothly. But after a couple of days and a few blows, what happens? Our good friend, the ego, (laughs) re-emerges. And then those strong likes and dislikes come again. So this is why Ramakrishna talked about this. The last stage, the post-pilgrimage mindset. I've been there, I've done all these things. Now, How to hold it? How to assimilate it? And how long do I assimilate it? For some, we talked about the spiritual experience. For some, the spiritual experience begins um, when you first go there in a place of pilgrimage. For some, it happens at the end of the pilgrimage. But for some, no, that pilgrimage takes place afterwards. The case of Sister Nivedita is a perfect example of this. She was an Irish disciple of Swami Vivekananda and Swami Vivekananda trained her. This was her first time visiting India and so she visited with Swami Vivekananda. He wanted to take her to Amarnath, which is a a very sacred place. It's in Kashmir. So um, he gave her all the training that we talked about. Actually, it's, it's this training I'm describing to you right now. So when Swami Vivekananda took her there, When they came to to this large cave, it's a large cave, it's like maybe 40, 50 feet high. Inside the cave, there's a Shiva, there's like an ice linga, it's shaped like a linga. And there they, uh, some people believe this is Lord Shiva himself that descends for these two or three months, that he lives in Amarnath. So during that time, Swami Vivekananda went there. Sister Nivedita just watched from outside. So Swami Vivekananda went inside it's like he experienced a living Shiva. He went and embraced Shiva, and he went into some type of high mood. Then he quickly caught himself and left the place. Sister Niveda witnessed this whole thing, but rather than being happy for Swami Vivekananda, she became a little upset. You know He had this experience, but what about me, you know? And she felt that, you know, what if, where's mine, you know? <laughs> She felt that he could have given it to her. So as they were walking back, she wrote in one of her letters, he tried to speak speak to me very nicely, very sweetly, but I put myself, went into my shell, (laughs) that hard shell. (laughs) Then Swamiji told her something. Her name was Margot, Margaret, Margaret Noble. He said, Margot, you made the pilgrimage. Now the effect will come. It will come in time. In time means what? So, that experience doesn't necessarily take place during the pilgrimage. We call this the post pilgrimage mindset. What does that mean? After the pilgrimage, you write about your, you, you keep a journal. You start to, uh, Ramakrishna used to say about how a cow, a cow chews the curd. I don't know how they chew the curd. They, I don't know. I've seen, that. I've seen a cow do that. They keep chewing, chewing. Something is, they keep chewing. So, same thing mentally, these spiritual experiences we've had. We should mentally, writing about it, in different ways, it should become something more and more intimate. These are not just spiritual experiences. These are not just pilgrimages. They become our intimate companions in life. Okay? What does that do when something becomes intimate to me? Remember, Ramakrishna used to always say this, that all of us, we shed tears for the world. We shed tears for our wife, our husband, our children. But who sheds tears for God? <laughs> our emotion, so slowly, slowly, our emotions should get, uh, connect with that. We want an emotional connection with the divine. So constantly looking at it again and again. You know, in psychology, this uh, Daniel Gilbert, he's a professor of Harvard, he talked about this. When we look in the past, normally there's a negative bias. It's called a negative bias. We look at things either in a positive or negative bias way. What we're saying in this post pilgrimage mindset, so many things happened during our pilgrimage, right? Good and bad. We want to see them, we want to reinforce the divine divine bias. When we look back upon that, we see that in so many ways we were helped out. You'll see if you look back on anywhere, so many ways God came and helped me. Someone came and helped me here. Um, I'll just give my own example again. When I went to Mount Kailash, uh, I don't think it's. Uh, I can't say in, in the public like what happened. This is on YouTube, but anyways, day two I went. I was walking. Day one I did this charan sparsha. Uh, I think there were a thousand people that went today to Mount Kailash. But I studied ahead of time that they say there's something called charan sparsha, means touching the uh, the the feet of Lord Shiva, going up to the mountain itself and touching the feet there. So uh, that first day I didn't take any. Uh, I think it's like 18,000 feet high. I didn't take any oxygen medication that day. I wanted just—I wanted to be fresh. And that day, I felt a tremendous in, um, enthusiasm. I think just walking by myself, carrying my own backpack, I finished two hours ahead of everybody else. And so, when I finished, I was like very close to uh, this—the uh, north face of Mount Kailash. So I was seeing that again and again. So we call that. In Sanskrit, darshana. Darshana means seeing, right? Seeing the Lord. But there's another term called sparsha. Sparsha means what? Touching. I wanted that. <laughs> so, this, uh, I asked uh, one Tibetan just walking by, a native there. I don't think he doesn't understand English and he doesn't understand Bengali. So I just asked him, where's this charan sparsha? Charan sparsha. He just pointed over there. I don't know if he understood me or not. But I thought, okay, it's the divine guiding me. So I started to walk, walk, walk. And um, I think I walked like eight, kilo- nine kilometers inwards. And suddenly, like the point I left, that was the point you're supposed to continue in that point to your next destination. I went off the trail. And that, that became like a small dot, right? So I was like, at the same time, I'm thinking, am I going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> so I kept going closer and closer. And... Uh, then, yes, I went up and I was able to touch that Chodan Sparsha, we call it. Then on the way back, I collapsed. <laughs> I, didn't have any, I didn't eat the whole day. I didn't take any oxygen. We're almost at 19,000 feet. So I just collapsed. And then you see how the Lord works, that some, some people came. They helped me back without my saying anything. Then day two is even more, uh, even hard, more difficult. You have to walk up a steep incline. It's called Doma La Paz. You reach up to nineteen thousand feet nineteen thousand two hundred feet, and you're walking in an incline like eight or ten miles. That's really brutal, right? because uh you don't that level of oxygen oxygenation it's really hard. you can't think, you know most people can't make it. so I didn't take any food the day before that day, and I was just i didn't have any energy, but I felt, no, I want to complete this, whatever it may be. if I have to die, but I 'll complete this. So I was walking by myself, walking, walking. And then suddenly, everybody left me. Everyone was way ahead of me. And at one point, I just collapsed. I was carrying my own backpack. I just collapsed. Then what happened? One old lady, Tibetan native lady, she came, and she took my backpack. <laughs> and she first gave me some, she had an oxygen machine. She gave me some oxygen. It was in my backpack. Then she herself carried my backpack. An old lady, I, I, I was, what could I say? You know, I was too tired. So she said, you walk ahead of me, and I'll walk behind you. So, okay, so I'm walking ahead. Again, maybe this is now 19,000 feet. Again, I collapsed. And then again, she came and some other person was there too. So they gave me, they again put some oxygen in my nose and gave me some food like that, some tea. And then they were like, this whole party was like walking of native Tibetans. They were walking behind me and I was like walking ahead. And finally, we reached the top. So this is the highest point we can get to. 19,200, 500 feet, whatever it is. So there you can see Lord Shiva very clearly. So then what happened was um, the rest of the part is downhill. Then she, I'll never forget, she gave me this very sweet smile and she handed me my backpack and I said, now I think you you can handle it from here. Afterwards I wanted to thank them. I never saw them again. So for me it's like Lord Shiva and Mahapadvati just made my own subjective again, this is subjective, right? My own experience was that. That they came, they helped me like that. So this is where this constantly yesterday when I was walking with Balakrishna, we were walking through Santa Barbara in the back there. As I was walking, I was constantly remembering Mount Koilash. <laughs> that looks I was telling Balakrishna, this looks like the south face of Mount Koilash. That looks like the place where Mahapadvati took bath. So this becomes our Actually, our closest companion, right? This actually, if we think about it long enough, this is something more than a lecture. It's something more. I'm not saying it's important to study Vedanta. I was in a Dwaita Ashram. Studying all these things is good. You have this Shravana, but then you have to make it your own. No class will make it your own. There has to be something else that enlivens it. Otherwise, what happens? You can be a monk, a nun, wherever. You could be a spiritual aspirant. It becomes something mechanical. Something... Nirosh, tasteless, right? And it's at the intellectual level. No, we wanted to bring it to the level of the heart, right? That's important. We want to bring it to the level of the heart. In fact, in the Yoga Sutras we talk, there's often this misnomer. In Western psychology, they separate the mind into three aspects. This thinking, feeling, willing. Cognitive, conative, is the feeling and this uh, willing. But in yoga sutras, when we say vitti manas, it's only one mind. There's not three separate minds. So we, even if you're engaged in this path of knowledge, you have to include the bhav, the emotion in that. And you're, if you're engaged in the path of bhakti or devotion, you also have to bring that aspect of knowledge into that as well. It's all one and the same. It's all the same vitti, the same mind. Same thing when we read all these things of Vedanta. All the studies we're doing, it's great. But it has to become something living. And afterwards, it has to seep into our own life. We have to try to practice that afterwards. So first is thinking about it, making it our own, keeping a journal, you can keep a journal about it. Sister Nivedita did this. She not only did prayer, contemplation, she would write about this. When you write about something, it then div- uh, it then brings in new insights. In Bengali we say Uddipon. New insights will come. New uh, new insights towards spirituality will come, and they're our own. They're not from some scripture. They're not from some Bible. It's something that from our own experience, and that matters the most. So in conclusion, we've talked today about uh, what is a place of pilgrimage. What makes a place of pilgrimage holy? What is a spiritual experience? A whole range of spiritual experiences. And how to prepare ourselves for a, spir- uh, for a pilgrimage. The pre-pilgrimage mindset, pilgrimage mindset, and post-pilgrimage mindset. So uh, I thank you all for listening pay very, very patiently. And I wish you all, all the best luck and, and prayers for that all of you take us different pilgrimages in your life and have a spiritual experience as well. Okay, do I read the bulletin? Okay. Okay. Um, so next, um, let's see. So next week, uh, we, next week's lecture will be Inviting Intuition by Swami Veda Rupananda. And I think this uh, it says August 9th, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday, August 9th, uh, we have a special guest, Swami Tiagananda from the Vedanta Society of Boston. And he'll be giving a, lecture, a talk on reconciling knowledge and love, jnana and bhakti. What time is that? Five o'clock. Five o'clock, okay. Any other, in, and I think next... Followed by a potluck afterwards. Okay, the most important, followed by a potluck afterwards. So <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, Saturday. Sa- sa- and Saturday you have a Gospel, uh, gospel of Ramakrishna class at 5 p.m. Okay, Saturday will be Swami Balabhadrananda, who's coming from Bellarmont, India. Uh, he's um, an Assistant General Secretary of our order, and he's i um, uh, I've known him for a long time. He's a very, uh, very sweet soul as well. And he had. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have heard of Swami Lokeshwaranandaji? He was very close to Swami Lokeshwaranandaji, who was a great soul in our order. So those of you who can come, that will be on uh, Saturday at five o'clock, right? Followed by a potluck. Most important thing is the potluck itself, right? So, Actually, we should say the potluck followed by the, uh, you know, and before the lecture. <laughs> so, with that, let me close with a chanting Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Sri Ramakrishna Panamastu.